Disturbing Interest is a Horrible Histories, Terrible Mysteries podcast. The past, and sometimes the present, are often a bleak place. Listener discretion is advised. If you're a fan of Disturbing Interests, please like and subscribe. And for the love of God, tell a friend about us. Pretend you're a Mormon. Go door to door with the good news of Disturbing Interests. Preach our gospel, brothers and sisters, and non-gender binary siblings, to the world at large. Because remember, with us, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. Welcome back to Disturbing Interest, everyone. I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting in her own lovely house is my ever-beautiful partner. Hi, I'm Lynn, the docent of darkness. How you doing? Um, I'm okay, you know. it's uh, What a time to be alive. Oh, what a time to be alive. All I can think of is we're at the pandemic. We're at the World War Three. We're at the combination pandemic and World War Three. That's kind of where we're at. So yeah. All I have to say about all of this is the ghost of Kiev is giving me all of the reasons for life right now. That person is a true hero. And I cannot wait to hear more from them after this conflict is resolved in Ukraine's favor. Just fuck Putin. Fuck him. You know? Jesus Christ. What? Jesus. Why? War is the stupidest thing. What, what, what are you doing, dude? Fuck. You know? That's all I can say. I don't have any... I'm not a, a political scientist. That My hot take is just, please fucking don't do this. That's it. You know me. I have a lot of things I could say. I'm just choosing not to. Just don't invade countries. I mean that for the United States. Don't. Don't. Let's go... If a country is going over there just doing its country business, let it. Just just leave it alone. Leave it the fuck alone. Stop touching your brother. Leave him alone. Hands off. That's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me take this chunk and whop you. Right? That's what I, I, it applies to, to countries too. Just keep your damn hands off them. Hands off. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Hands off indeed. So we got a couple of uh, things to tell you about at the top of the episode here. One, we want to give a shout out to T-Designs Custom on Etsy. Uh, They do t-shirt designs. uh, Some really cute different imagery. Imagery? Yeah, that's a good word for it. That's a word. (laughs) That's a word. Designs? Yeah, designs. They've got some neat T-Designs. So if you are looking for a new t-shirt and you want to support a small business... Go ahead and head on over to Etsy to T Designs Custom. They're out of Roseville, California. So that's fun. And then also, I want to tell you all, anyone, so you all know I'm into comics. I, we do that. We do know that. Yes. Yes. This is a thing with me. And I follow a lot of different comics, including a bunch of indie ones. And so I would like to tell you about this one that I recently found. It's called Mythos Redone. And that's M-Y-T-H-O-S-R-E-D-O-N-E. It is absolutely amazing. The art is fantastic. I recommended it to you. What do you think about the art? I, I like it. I think it's a solid comic. I haven't, you're like, you blasted through the episodes. I'm like, I got all this stuff to do. So I read a little bit, but I, so far I, I'm liking it. Yeah. I go through comics fast. It's a problem. Um, I will not ever admit to anyone what I spend on comics in a month. It's no. <laughs> 
No. I'm an old person. I used to be like, we have a box at our friendly local comic store when like you would just go and get actual comics. So oh, are know. you kidding me? Grumpy old man comics here. Another shout out. Grumpy old man comics here in Seattle. Freaking amazing. If you're in the Seattle area, you're looking for a good comic shop, head on over there and tell them disturbing interests sent you because we think that they are amazing. They're over in the Ballard. Anyway, but this, this new comic that's out. It is phenomenal, guys. The story is great. It's wacky. It has to deal with all of these pantheons and art and a starving artist and a demon. And it's very sexually positive. And I love it. I love it. And the art is incredible. So thank you to the fine artist who put that out. They are an independent artist. Um, it is on the app Webtoons. I encourage all of you to jump on there and look them up because holy snap, it's good. The artists uh, are Gonzalez and Liss. So thank you both for putting this out and making my life a little bit better. Everybody jump on there, check it out because it will enhance yours as well. Oh, and I have a podcast recommendation now that I'm thinking Ooh. of it. They don't even know we exist, but I think it's a great podcast. It's called Bad Women. I believe you. Oh, it's so good. Yes. So good. It is based on the book The Five. And The Five is about the five women who are said to be the, the victims of Jack the Ripper. And mm -hmm. it's their actual stories. So, yes, technically it's about Jack the Ripper, but it's really about the lives, the real lives of the women who were killed during the sort of Ripper murder spree. And it's just a fascinating look at. From a, from a real historian who does the hell out of her research, just a look at the lives of the lower class, the lives of women, uh, especially women who you know had were down on their luck, uh, down in that in that period, and it just it's amazing to listen to and be like amazed at how how modern their stories is, how little has changed, but also how much has changed. Um, yeah. It's just it's really well done. It's a it's a really it's a really interesting podcast. It is truly about centering and humanizing these victims that were just mm -hmm. for most people these you know prostitutes that were being murdered and here here it turns out honestly only one of them for certain was even a sex worker and mm -hmm. they were people and they are far more interesting than the asshole that that murdered all these people so check out bad women absolutely worth your time 100 and it you can find it it's on the um pretty much every Anywhere. podcast um, platform that you can find it on. Absolutely. And I, I do want to interject, even if every single one of those victims were sex workers, that does not no, make no. these crimes in any way, shape or form not more at acceptable all. or less. They're just and just horrifying. the amount of lack of caring about sex workers yes. then is, you know, just as awful as it is today. It just, the, the amount of, insinuation that well if you were you you might have deserved what you were doing because you weren't a good person like i just it will make your blood boil and it will make you angry and it will make you mm -hmm. sad but mm -hmm. it's also just riveting to hear to hear their real individual lives told it's absolutely worth worth your time absolutely another thing that fascinates me about this study and just kind of the socioeconomic survival of that time and that class is how dependency issues 
mm-hmm. were such a problem as they are today. It's very mirroring um, some of our current issues. Oh, hello, Neko. Our podcast is here. She says, hello. Are you going to say hello for us? No, she's going to lick herself. That's great. My life has been enhanced because of that cat licking herself. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm currently no cats. No cats here to try to pull cords out of the wall or anything like that. So let's hope we, we keep that up. <laughs> um, switching topics real quick. Uh, aside from, you know, just, hey, go check that out. Check these things out. Oh, that was almost cat eating shit on my soundboard. Oh, Neko, you special little lady, you. Uh, get out of my wine. Guys, I have wine today. That's the kind of episode that we're having. Oh, uh, I, you I all have... know I don't drink. <laughs> I have wine, and I've been saying, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but yes, oh, yes, I have wine for later. Wine? Question mark. I do want to give a, a couple of shout outs to some listeners of ours. I don't know if they want their names mentioned or not, so I'm just kind of kind of refrain. One of our listeners over our break wrote in regarding our HH Holmes episode and pointed out that the trunk that was sent back, I questioned, you know, why that may have actually been something during that time. If you're moving in with a new husband who is supposedly wealthy enough to buy you a whole new wardrobe, wouldn't it make sense to send that wardrobe back to your family? That may have been less unfortunate if there were other girls there that needed to wear your hand-me-downs. So that was an excellent point. So there was that. Also, uh, a listener did write in and recommend Devil in the White City to me. Thank you so much. Though I have read it, I appreciate any book referrals, especially when it has to do with H.H. Holmes. Oh, one more thing. Uh, We had a listener a while back request that I do an episode on the goblins of I believe Kentucky and I that is still on the list I just wanted to let you know (laughs) uh yes now so that is still on the list it just took me down a real weird rabbit hole and I I went deep and far and decided that I needed to walk away from that for a bit. So I will return to it. I will end up recording it. Just wanted to give you the heads up. Anyone else who has requested something, if I have not responded to you, please go ahead and request it again. Your email could have just gotten overlooked and I'm so sorry. We always appreciate your emails. We appreciate the request. Feel free to send them in, disturbinginterest at gmail.com. You can also reach out to me on our Twitter. Lynn monitors our Facebook. You can hit us up there. Or she also monitors our Instagram. So feel free to DM her there. We're here for you because you're there for us. And he loves it. All right. And in fact, this episode is a listener request uh, that you're doing. Yes, it is. But we have a a berry story before we get into the awful shit. This is a nice light tale of berry. So berry, because it is the cold season, has decamped to what I like to refer to as the Winter Palace in beautiful... Sunny Horry County, South Carolina, which is the county where Myrtle Beach exists. Now they're not in Myrtle Beach because yep. they hate people, so which is reasonable. It's a very forest area, Fair. but they are nearby, and uh, he likes to go down to the, to the, you know, the beach and hang out like like he does, like you do. And he was um, 
he was bored the other day because it was too rainy. So he couldn't, he couldn't golf and which is his favorite thing. And so he, he was just kind of bored and he has come up with a new diversion, a sport, if you will, to keep himself entertained while fucking with tourists. So this is highly Barry. What he does is he goes down to the bank and he gets a roll of, I believe, nickels because they have the correct metal for this. And he uh-huh. goes down to the beach and he buries the nickels in patterns, like circular patterns or like like crop circles. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. This is a Barry thing. He's read all his books uh, and he's gone through all his books on tape. He's bored. This is what he's doing. So he buries these things in the sand and he covers them up and he basically waits and watches from his like porch with his binoculars for metal detectorists to come down and be like, oh my God, because they think they found, I don't know, the wreck of the Hesperus or some shit. But no, it's just this like intricate pattern of freaking nickels buried in the sand. (laughs) So this is already ridiculous. But he took it to another level the other day. So he called me. He was saying, how you doing? He's like, oh, I'm so mad. I was like, oh, no, what happened? Kids. And I was like, oh, shit. So apparently some little kids. I love how it's just the response is kids. Yeah. Blanket answer. So apparently some little kid had discovered his, his metal detectorist trap and was like, wee, free nickels. And was down there digging up the nickels, right? So my dad was like, oh, this, this, this will not, this aggression will not stand. So the next time he went down there to rebury the nickels, he also l- laid in um, some breadcrumbs down there. And he kind of lurked in the background, like waiting for the kids to come back. And when they did, he basically sicked his seagull army that he has been feeding and kind of training on the children. He basically just pitched <laughs> chunks of like, stale ass wonder bread in the direction of the buried uh, treasure <laughs> and just had this entire flock of seagulls basically descend on the children on the beach uh, and just sitting there going, <laughs> watching them like flee from this, this army of squawking shitting birds. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, I didn't mean to kill you there with that, but yeah, that's, so this is, um, this is what Barry's doing with his retirement. He's traumatizing uh, beach goers. So uh, to the good people of Horry County, South Carolina, I'm I'm real sorry about that, but uh, you know you can't stop him. This is what he does. Yeah, just imagine if he still had access to the chemicals and machinery that he did at his former job. Uh, we're looking at like I don't know the Unabomber at this point, <laughs> but happily he's contenting himself with just sort of minor, vague, low-level criminal mischief and not actual felonies. So yeah, that's that's what Barry's up to. Oh my God, that is beautiful. Uh, at least he's not getting good. exercise, right? He's keeping people entertained. <laughs> uh, thank uh, th- all praise Barry. Uh, I I am uh, the first convert in the Church of Barry. <laughs> uh, he he is something. He's something. Uh, he's giving me ideas for my retirement. I love it. I just keep hoping that like they're right that the the great pandemic, the big panjandrum, is going to be at least kind of chill for at least a few months till. Variant number 337 is like, surprise, bitches, because maybe we'll get a berry visit this summer. Maybe. Kind of hopeful. Oh, we'll my see. gosh. If we get a berry visit, uh, visit, we have to have dinner. I, I okay. must meet Barry. The man, the myth, the berry. 
just don't give him bread because we got a lot of really hungry, angry seagulls around here. That's all I'm saying. And I have to live here. I just basically have to take him aside and be like, look, I have to keep living here after you leave. So Don't get us kicked out of Seattle, Dad. No, keep me out of trouble with the cops, please. Thank you. Speaking of, uh, my dad, my biological father, is coming uh, in two days yeah two days tuesday that's exciting yeah right i haven't seen him since before covid yeah hopefully you'll have a nice chill seagull free visit i'm sure we will he doesn't go out and intentionally antagonize the seagulls so i think we'll be good (laughs) however i did see a seagull almost fall off the roof at my apartment complex here in the ghetto the other day and it was one of the funniest damn things i've ever seen so that's that's the only seagull bit of news I have. So yeah, that's uh, that's my Barry story. So before we get into this most hideous and horrific tale that you have for us that I was like, oh no, I pulled a very special can of wine out of my refrigerator <laughs> that I've been referring to as the wine grenade. Yes. It's just been, I got it some time ago and it it is one of the most horrific looking beverages I've ever seen. And it's just been sitting there in my fridge waiting for the perfect episode because I knew this couldn't just be, you know, any vaguely disturbing story. It needed to be something that was as horrific as this thing. So with that said, I'm going to bust into, let me describe the scene first. It is a, a simple looking can. It's a soda can sized um, uh, equivalent to it looks like it's uh, two cans of this equal one bottle. So oh. I guess this is like a half can of unholy juice from you mean half bottle juice. Yeah, and it is uh, it's it's bright fucking pink, like neon pink with a neon green like spray on it, like that it's dripping down, like oh, someone has no. sprayed it with with uh, uh, spray paint, a spray can of, of paint, and it's called wine pop. I already hate it. And the flavor is a strawberry kiwi rosé wine spritzer. This is a hell no. Alcohol, 12.5% by volume. And um, it suggests on the back that it is vibrantly effervescent. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, each wine pop variety delivers a deliciously bold flavor that is sure to please. Sure, Jan. And it suggests that I should join the wine pop movement. Yeah, I bet there's going to be a movement after I take this. (laughs) All right. Oh, God. I I said I would taste this. I did not say I would drink this. Big difference. You get one sip. For for you, our listeners, I will throw myself on this particular wine grenade. Okay, I'm opening it. Oh, it's it's extremely foamy. Jesus Christ, it smells worse than a Jolly Rancher. Oh, no. It just, it smells like tooth decay. All right, I'm going in. Oh, I, I don't, it, it's really like, smells like, like sugary, fake, nasty candy. Oh, All right. no. Okay. Oh, oh, no, no, nope. No, 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 no. No, it literally tastes like you took the shittiest, like, box wine, like the cheapest you could possibly find, rot gut, and, and literally just dissolve like a fistful of Jolly Rancher, like watermelon. It's not even like strawberry. It's like watermelon flavor, like that fake, fake fruit flavor. Like it, uh, it just, I think it's sort of rosé pink. It's hard to see because it's in a can. I didn't pour it out. I, I 
wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna waste a glass on this fucker. Um, but yeah, it's um, you can't pour something. one out to your homies with that. It's just insulting. Oh. <laughs> no, no. If you pour this one out on my grave, I'm a hand. My my dead zombie hand is gonna punch out through the dirt and like grab you because oh, this is nasty. Is that you how we get zombies? Is this yes, how we get zombies? This is the zombie fluid. Oh my! It's the reanimator fluid. Oh god! It's. I'll try it one more time. Just. Mm. To see if no. it's settled. No, it does not get better. And it stays on your tongue. Like, um, I taste it. I kept tasting it. Like, it's... Aww. My mouth is going to taste like demented Starburst for a while. Like, oh. Oh, oh this is... This is no... This no. is the flavor of nope. This is what nope tastes like. This, right here. This is every bit as, like, dear God, sweet Jesus, no, That's as I thought it was going to be. And... It is the perfect pairing with your story today. One hundo. Oh, yeah, because the story is a whole lot of nope. This story today, guys, if it's bad. Just I am yeah. the darker side of terrible. And let me tell you what. I feel like I need to scrub my soul in salt after yeah. delving into the story as much as I have. Because you know me. I'll dick around on the research. I go in deep. So... Yeah. I I can't, I have trouble with Nazi. I have great, I have great pleasure in doing a story about somebody doing something bad to Nazis. Like, I'll tell you that story. I I personally just, I cannot, family history, can't do it. Can't do it. No, this Um, really upset me. I'm not even lying. This story upset me. The darker side of terrible. It upset me. But the episode was requested by listener Brian. And Brian, I gotta tell you. I have had Mangala on my to-do list since we started this dog and pony show, but I've never been able to hammer the episode out because it's just, he was just such a fucking monster and so prolific at being a monster. However, since you requested it, I dove into this disgusting cesspool, which was the life of Mangala and swam deep in it for two months. Like, when we were on break, I was dealing with Mangala. <laughs> you were backstroking in the sewage lagoon. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. We all know that I like the disturbing shit, hence the name of our show. But I think I've had my fill of Nazis for this season with this one. I, I think that's fine. Yeah. I think we get, like, one Nazi episode a season tops. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I feel like, okay, so I think I call it the meatloaf topic. Everybody has their meatloaf topic on this show where you will do anything for love, but you won't do that. And like, <laughs> I was wondering, I was wondering, what is the, how are meatloaf, we going here? Nice. And everybody has their meatloaf topic that they're just not going to do. And mine is general, generally Nazis. Like I did do the Van Meegeren one about the art forger who defrauded the Nazis. But that's different. sort of Nazi tangen- tangential. Yeah. But yeah, I, that is like a third rail, a, a meatloaf thing that I will not, I can't do. Like, I think yours is Children. eight-legged friends. I didn't want to say the S word. Uh, well, I, I, I have issues with spiders. We know this. I have issues with small grades. But what I absolutely cannot do is children's sex cults. I've done it. Kind of. <laughs> but You're like yeah i can't I yeah can't. yeah and when i did the cult episode that had to do with all of the underage you know bride marrying and all of that 
that was bad. But I started working on like three other cults before that. And all of it was just so much child abuse that I was just like, I, I wasn't okay. I was not okay. That was worse than Mangala. That's my meatloaf topic. I yeah. can't do that. Yeah, and I think it's very reasonable for people to have meatloaf topics. It's totally cool as listeners if there's a meatloaf topic where you're like, gonna skip that one. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if this is your meatloaf topic, totally get it. And I do have a little tiny coda because we do like to send you off after truly horrible topics with something tiny bit uplifting. So I, I like to, I, I'm adding a don't fuck with Jews segment at the end because yeah. I, I have to. She has to. Also, I'm going to try not to dive too deeply into the specifics of the experiments that he performed. Thank you. I do go into some of it, but he did a lot of these things to kids as well as like older adults. And this just consider this your warning, guys. For this episode, I read Mangala, the Complete Story by Gerald, 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 not Gerald. <laughs> Gerald. No, I think that's Gerald of Rivia. No, no. (laughs) I mean, maybe he, maybe he's also an author. I don't, I don't know his life. Maybe. By Gerald Posner and John Ware. And then I visited the website's Wikipedia, like always, Holocaust Encyclopedia, the History Channel's website, PubMed.gov, which is the National Library of Medicine's website, and then the Medical Review of Auschwitz website. So, yeah, I went deep. I went deep. Light reading, hey? A. A beach read. Yeah. something, Something real light, tight, bright, and happy, of course. A little background before just diving full force into this horror show that was Mangala. During the Holocaust of World War II, almost 19 million Jewish, Romani, Soviet, Serb, Polish, homosexual, and handicapped civilian and prisoners of war were killed by Adolf Hitler's regime for a new world order. I'm putting that number out there because it amazes me how little it's actually known. So just want to throw that out there. Among the death camps that were created with the purpose of mass genocide and slave labor, Auschwitz became one of the most notorious for the brutality and efficiency as it claimed roughly 85% of all lives that entered other than the officials that worked there. That was roughly 1.1 million people that had their lives snuffed out. So 19 million people total were murdered in this horrendous world war. One nineteenth of them were just in this camp. 1.1 million people from this one camp. The camp was so prolific that the air is said to have constantly hung with the ashes of the dead as they were incinerated in one of the four crematorias. This is the atmosphere that I kept in mind while studying this material. The atmosphere where one chokes on the death of the innocent with every breath taken, because it was the atmosphere that the bad doctor found the freedom to carve a name for himself as one of the most horrifying people in all of human history. Joseph Mengele was born on March 16, 1911, to a family that was well-off and respected. 
His father, Carl Mengele, was the founder of Carl Mengele and Sons Company, which was a large producer of farm equipment. For us here in the U.S., imagine John Deere. In fact, the company is still in operation after it dropped the Carl and Sons from the name. To this day, you can drive through the German countryside and witness Mengele equipment in the fields. Now, gentle disturbed listeners, you might wonder why this annoys me so badly. Because it does. After all, being someone who comes from a family rife with monsters of the human variety, I would be saddened to have any of their actions reflect on me. But then again, I also wouldn't support them in any way, and I sure as hell wouldn't supply those monsters with funds to escape justice. So, yeah, it annoys me. But I'm jumping ahead of myself in the story. Joseph was the oldest of three sons and was interested in politics and the military from a young age. He even got involved with a paramilitary organization called Der Stahlhelm, I think. By the way, any butchery of these names, just I apologize to anyone who speaks German, to Wilhelm, to you, um, to anyone listening. Uh, yeah, we know me and pronunciations. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Anyway. I, I believe in you. Thank you. Thank you. Called Der Stahlhelm that was absorbed into the Nazi SS when he went to college in Munich. There was an excellent documentary about the Holocaust called The Final Account that gives the perspective of the German citizens that lived through it, um, from full-blown SS officers to the attendant at a train station. The interviews really are something. They talk to all different kinds of people, and it only... it came out a few years ago after the last person that they interviewed died because they couldn't release it um, because they incriminated themselves. It helps confront the question, though, of how so many people let these atrocities happen because there were so many people who witnessed these things. I'm reminded of the documentary because the growing sentiment had already taken root in the German populace against the Jewish community when Mengele was still in college. Hate was encouraged and cultivated until the college student that had studied philosophy became a doctor of anthropology and medical sciences. Mengele was known for his interest in genealogy, and he studied under the geneticist Othmar, Freeherr von Verscher, sure, at the Institute for Hereditary Biology and Racial Hygiene in Frankfurt. Oh, that sounds like a fun and really scientifically accurate place to be. Yeah, anything that has racial hygiene in it is clearly on the up and up. Oh, yeah, you you see those two words together, just fucking run. Get out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was here where he was known to have discovered a particular interest in the study of twins. Going to show that some things can capture a person's interest and hold it for their entire life. And hopefully that thing is like model trains. Rats as pets and not twins. 
Like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Mengele graduated with his MD in 1938 as cum laude from the University of Frankfurt. Cum laude, of course, is Latin meaning. Uh, uh, like with merit? Isn't it like laude? Like with, with honors, with distinction? Yes. And I would have accepted anything as long as you didn't say come late. <laughs> no, no, no. There's magna and summa. So magna is like the best and summa mm-hmm. is like pretty, pretty good. Right? Or yeah. do I get those backwards? I There are three of them. That's all I know. It's specialty I, honors. I was never a come louder. I was a come lately. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no distinctions or distinguishing educational hallmarks. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm a dickhole with the internet. So God help us all. <laughs> Aren't most people, though. Anyway. An interesting side note, even though Mangala was very intelligent, he was such a monster just in his life that his degrees were revoked in the 60s because the colleges were so embarrassed to have him listed as one of their graduating alumni that they were just like, yeah, no. And proving that you can be awarded with honorary degrees for your excellent merit service in a field of study they proved that you could also be denounced from earning degrees for being a fucking cad. That's reasonable. I think so. Before starting his military career in earnest, Joseph married Irene Schonbein, who he would later have a son, Rolf, with in 1944. I hear Rolf, I think Muppets. It's just the image I had throughout this entire writing of these notes, him raising a Muppet. Though already involved with the Nazi party, Mengele was deployed into military service in June of 1940. He started his military career by volunteering volunteering in the Waffen-SS, which is the combat arm of the SS, where he was a second lieutenant in the Medical Reserve Battalion until November of 1940. Then he was assigned to the SS Race and Settlement Main Office in Poznan, where he was responsible for evaluating candidates for Germanization, because that's exactly who needs to determine citizenship, right? Joseph fucking Mengele. Sure. Man, may I just take a moment to underscore how fucked up the pseudoscience of eugenics was and how disgusted I am by humanity on a whole that so many people jumped on that bandwagon because that's a lot of what that office had to deal with was eugenics and fuck Nazis. In 1941, Mengele was awarded with the Iron Cross after saving two German troops from a burning tank after he had been relocated to the Ukraine of all places. Okay, I guess the, I mean, that's good to save a per- I, uh, no. Uh, no. Uh. He received other honors over his career as well, but I really don't like mentioning them. In fact, I feel uncomfortable saying anything positive about this giant bag of dicks at all. But I was so surprised that he was awarded a medal for saving lives in such an extreme fashion that I had to share it. I'm here to report the shits, not take them. Well, I mean, people are, hey, people are complex, you know, like the whole Hitler loved dogs. Yeah, you know, it was a vegetarian who who loved dogs dogs? and liked, liked art. That sounds nice, but also 
a vicious murdering psycho bastard. So again, we if people contain multitudes. They they contain yeah. multitudes. Yeah. Yeah. It this guy was bad. He was an anti-Semitic piece of shit. In 1942, Mengele was transferred out of active duty due to a severe injury received in combat. And I'm saying that it could have saved everyone a lot of trouble if he had just been a little more severe. But he lived. That shell had just been slightly more to the right. Just, oh, just slightly. Yeah. Uh, so many cases in history were like that. Just just a little different. Killed them just a little more. Just a touch mm. more. Yeah. yeah. Mengele was relocated to Berlin, still with the SS Race and Settlement Division, and was promoted to a captain the following year in 1943. Or whatever the equivalent to captain in German Nazi degrees was. I, I, the, there are a few words here that I was like, that's long. No. <laughs> Those are too many vowels next to each other. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm tapping out. Yeah. It was also in 1943 that Mengele applied to become one of the doctors at Auschwitz. I bet this is going to go well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The history has nothing about this. As previously stated, Auschwitz was a nightmare. The selecting doctors met the trains at the station and chose who was suitable to carry out the slave labor and who was sent straight to die. Mangala accepted, was accepted into the Auschwitz staff and quickly became known as one of these selectors. In fact, Mengele enjoyed the selection process over life and death so much that he would often show up to greet the arriving trains to perform the task, even when he was not on duty or assigned to do so. And he was known to whistle or hum with merriment as he did it. Uh. Yeah, yeah. He was assigned as the chief physician of the Romani family camp at Birkenau which was the subcamp located in the Auschwitz complex. Now, make no mistake, even though he was the chief physician, that didn't mean that he was treating patients. SS doctors only supervised the activities of the enslaved doctors who worked in the camp. Mengele was also responsible for ordering that any prisoner who failed to recover after two weeks in bed be sent straight to the gas chamber. The gas chambers in Auschwitz used a product known as Zyklone B, also known as Cyclone B, to kill people quickly and in mass. Zyklone A, B's predecessor, was outlawed in the use of combat with the end of World War I because it was so horrible. They're a cyanide-based chemical that started as a pesticide for ships, but turned into one of the worst gases to take human life in history. Mangala was one of the people responsible for supervising the administration of Zyklone B at Auschwitz. So here's this doctor, other camp, coming over to supervise the administration of the Zyklone B. Mangala thrived at Auschwitz. 
It was a place of no morals or limitations on experimentation in the name of science. When you declare human beings as other or less than human, it is an easy jump to acceptable costs in the name of scientific advancement. Basic science tells us that overpopulation, impoverished areas with poor sanitary conditions leads to the outbreak of disease. And this was no exception in the concentration camps. <laughs> when writing my notes, P.S., I had a sharp flashback regarding this uh, to the mental hospital episode from New York. Oh, for yes. fuck's sake. Yep. Oh, this it horrified me how closely these two things were related. I hate humans. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, one oh, yeah. Mengele saw these outbreaks as an opportunity to research the diseases and, in 1943, a bacterial disease of the mouth and face called Noma struck the Romani camp Mengele was in charge of. He seized the chance to start a study to determine the cause of the disease and develop a treatment. However, Noma is an exceptionally rare disease that is not contagious, occurring almost always as a sequela to contagious diseases like measles or typhoid. It's often a rapid and painful death, though, with gangrenous open sores to the face and throat. Mangala isolated and experimented on mainly Romani children in what would become one of the most documented and atrocious acts on record. The experimental treatment consisted of administering a combination of sulfalaminoethylothiazide. Um, it was a combination of shit that should not have been combined. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not even reading it because, fine. For reference, the cure to Noma is penicillin, you know, which was discovered in 1928 and is like the most common cure-all and not to try the most common cure-all was absolutely asinine. So this is sort of like, hey, let's try, oh, I don't know, horse dewormer on these guys and see if that fixes it. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. One of the things that he mixed in for administration was nicotinic acid. Like from like nicotine, like yes. from tobacco. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because that makes sense. Sure. It just, it enrages me. It enrages me so bad. Okay. So this is basically like, let's put a little hydrogen peroxide on the gaping face and throat wounds that are killing these children. See what that does. Except let's mix it with shit that burns really bad. Oh, God. And, uh, and not give them any kind of antiseptic or cool. pain reliever or anything. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. This barbaric research was conducted in Unit 22, where they stacked three men bunk beds to three to a row. It's a lot of people. I still don't know how many rows they had. I looked. I couldn't find it. And this research happened right up until the Romani camp and most of its inhabitants were destroyed before they could be liberated in 1944. Later, when some of the prisoner doctors were trying to find out 
why research on Noma was being conducted at all. They were told that it was probably because similar cases of illness were occurring among the Wehrmacht soldiers Mm -hmm. after the Stalingrad defeat. So that's the only thing that they could find. As if the Soma experiments were not bad enough, Mangala would have portraits of these victims painted. He would send them to a um, one of the prisoners who is pretty well known for painting the portraits of other prisoners to have the portraits of the victims whose faces had been eaten away by this disease painted. But um, We had cameras at this time you could just take a photo if you needed to document this for your medical records what the fuck dude i think he was just a sick fuck who enjoyed it whenever i get into a conversation about mangala which has happened more than i care to admit on a recording someone inevitably says something about him advancing science with all these horrors no and No, I I will say this now. I have found nothing, nothing that supports this narrative at all. He was a sick fuck who whistled while sending people to die and had portraits painted of diseased children that he brutalized. There was no, there was no saving grace for this bastard. Don't, don't lay that narrative out there because It's a lie. Perhaps if he hadn't had two boxes of his records smuggled out of Germany by one of his former nurses, we would have had more written documentation on his experiments. But then again, this is the same guy who didn't adhere to the standard practices when it came to experiments. In real experiments, you have a control group and you also have to be able to document and replicate your findings. This is standard. Mangala was fast and loose with these standard experimental practices, not just with his humanity. He was just kind of doing shit to do it and see what happened. Yeah, to say nothing of like, I don't know, informed fucking consent Mm -hmm. to participate? Jesus. Well, if you're not human, it doesn't matter. I guess not. Ugh. And now I've switched to white wine. You sure you don't want strawberry kiwi rosé? It's no, this terrible. is real good. This is real, real good. Mm, that's that's tasty. All right. His interest in twins did not stop there either. In fact, he became infamous for his Auschwitz twin research. I heard recorded testimony from one of the survivors of his experiments. Her sister had not been as lucky. The victim and her sister had both been injected with an unknown concoction. Her sister had died, and she had become barren. She had spent her entire life trying to find out what had been in the syringe, only to find a doctor who had been one of the prisoner doctors, who was able to read the bad doctor's notes, and yet he still could not give her the whole truth. There were people who spent the majority of their lives just trying to figure out what that crackpot actually did to them. He didn't just kill people and ruin their lives, but the ripple effect from this monster, from the experiments he did and the survivors to the family members of those he killed, 
it is so large of an imprint that I couldn't even fully grasp the scope. He was particularly interested in people with heterochromia iridium, and that's people with different colored eyes, pregnant women, and dwarves. Some of his most horrifying experiments had to do with the attempt to change a person's eye color, and with some things I refuse to go into regarding limbs of victims with dwarfism. Yeah, already, like, some of the surgeries that people who do have various forms of dwarfism go through just to get a couple of inches of heights with breaking bones and rehealing them and letting them grow already just that they go into willingly that they want to have done just causes me like oh god just so um, I just can't imagine yeah this being done to somebody without any consent or desire to have it done under the fuck pain relief fuck anesthesia uh kind of setting that this would be done in it just ugh. oh no thank you yeah what i'm about to say next is real upsetting Yay. this monster yeah just heads up this monster was known for performing surgery without anesthesia including vivisection on pregnant women amputations and even attempts at trying to create conjoined twins oh no there are so many horrible things that this entire box of overflowing colostomy bags did that are just fucking documented and horrible that I had to take a break in writing my notes at this point. <laughs> because if I didn't, I would have thrown up from sheer disgust. Like it actually physically on multiple occasions during research made me ill. Also, I would like it to be noted that the German Research Foundation directly funded Mengele's research while he was at Auschwitz. So much so that the pathology laboratory that was built next to the crematorium that they used to dissect victims in was completely paid for by that funding. Mengele would insist that his younger patients call him Uncle Mengele, and he would often offer them sweets, which he carried around in his pocket and spoke sweetly to them. But one comparison I read likened him as having less affection for them than a man would have to a favored dog. They were nothing more to him than tools to serve a purpose. And there were many accounts from people who witnessed him treating these children, you know, kindly and then immediately turning around and having one dissected alive. Oh, Jesus. So what happened to the shit sting? Did he get caught and put to death? No. Well, life can't be that fair now, can it? No, no, no. Mangala was transferred to another camp from Auschwitz right before the Allied forces moved in and liberated the remaining prisoners. I say remaining because the Nazis were very hard to dispose of evidence of their atrocities once they knew they were on the losing side. Mangala then made what I'm sure he considered a daring escape, and I consider a fucking travesty. What really gets me about Mangala's evasion of justice is that it, it broke down to simple paperwork errors. Two of them. That, that's how he got away. 
Seriously, the next time you're filling out what might seem to be like meaningless documents and you wonder why, Joseph fucking Mangala is why, okay? And this is the shit that makes me the absolutely most incensed because one of the greatest monsters of all history got away because of people being incompetent in handling paperwork and procedures. Not once, but twice! This entire bag of dicks must have made a deal with Jeff the Demon of Procedural Bullshit or something. And while I am on this little detour of sheer outrage, I would like to add something that is often overlooked with Mangala. He truly bought into the anti-Semitic tripe that the Nazis were peddling. He was notoriously cruel to those he felt were lesser than him. And that was the majority of the populace, but especially to the Jewish community. There are accounts of him ordering the murders of most of a Jewish crowd just because he could. He would do things like hang a board at a celebration, and any of the attending Jewish populace that did not meet the height set by that board would be killed. He was a monster who gloried in the death of an untold number of people. One last thing before I stop venting and return to the story at hand. The guy who sold Zyklon B, knowing it would be used to kill people, was executed for his crime. But Mangala lived, proving that justice has been a rare and elusive concept for a very long time. So, how did paperwork fuck justice the first time? Well, Mangala went on the run disguised as a Wehrmacht officer. However, even disguised, he was still a German soldier, and in June of 1945, he was taken as a prisoner of war by the American troops. Why am I not surprised that it was us that did this? Mengele was even originally registered under his own name, but due to the disorganization of the distribution of wanted lists, he was not identified as being one of the major war criminals wanted. Normally, the SS blood group tattoo would have identified him as being part of the SS, but Mangala was an outlier who never received the tattoo. He ended up being released after about a month of being held as a prisoner of war and managed to obtain fake documents under the name of Fritz Ullmann, which he would later change to Fritz Holman. Mangala spent almost four years in hiding in Germany, working as a farmhand and living in hiding under his assumed name. During this time, he did communicate with his wife and family. And now I'm going to drop our favorite word, allegedly, his family bankrolled him, which is why I'm so angry that they're still doing so well. (laughs) Another interesting factoid here is that during this time, Mangala met back up with the nurse he had asked to smuggle out his two boxes of documents on his experiments, and he reclaimed them. They were some of the only physical paperwork that survived the SS's purging of Auschwitz before the Allies liberated the cap. 
Do you know what a rat line is? A rat line? Yeah. I, I just picture like my little friends like da 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 hey da 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 hey. That's, that's probably I want. I want that to be a rat line. I really do. That makes it so much better. For our listeners who do not know, a rat line is not the phone number to call and talk about uh, Lynn's Cheese Boys, which I would be fine with that too, or a rat conga line. You used to call me on the rat line. I know when the rat line rings, that can only mean one thing. Sorry. Yeah. See, I, I wish that's what it was. I laugh to deal with the fact that shit is horrible. Yes. Yes, we have to, because at this point I'm halfway through a two glasses of, glasses of wine and it's got to get weird. I really wish that's what it was, by the way. I really wish that's what it was. But it was a term created for the network of people who smuggled Nazis out of Germany. Rats would not have done no. that. Rats would be like, let those fuckers burn. Yeah. I'm just saying. I, I feel like rats get a bad rap. They do. Mm. They do. Cheese boys. A minky line would have been much more appropriate. A minky line. <laughs> a minky line. The world's most horrible cat. A minky line. <laughs> hey, Minky's my buddy. <laughs> I feel oh. her hate in my soul after writing this. I'm just like, yes, Minky, sing the song of my people. In April of 1949, Mangala took a rat line to Genoa, Italy. And from there, he obtained a passport under the new alias Helmut Gregor, and then hopped on a boat to Argentina. Side note, if nothing else in this story unnerves you about Mengele, he willingly chose the name Helmut. Think about it. His wife finally divorced him in 1954, after deciding not to go on the run to another country. She is a figure that intrigues the hell out of me, though. I have so many questions. I mean, you can't be a great person to marry Mangala or somebody with Mangala's values to begin with. But no, and then to stick by him. Yeah. You don't stand by your man when he's carving up children for pseudoscience. Like, no. Well, she you just that, stayed no. with him while he was on the run and met up yeah, with no. him in Germany in those years that he was on the run. She had to have heard about what the Allies uncovered at Auschwitz. Everyone did. It, yeah, it's it's questionable. Questionable values. Complicit. Yes. Mengele's life was mostly uneventful in South America, keyword being mostly. He did live in hiding for a while, working odd jobs like farmhand and carpenter for people then that he roomed with on the rat line. However, Mangala eventually went back to practicing medicine without a license. He even brazenly returned to Europe to visit his family at one point. It was after this trip in 1956 that he returned to living under his real identity when he returned to Argentina. He also married in 1958 to a single mother. He raised his stepson, Carl, more than he ever took part in raising his biological son, Rolf, because apparently he was racist against Jews and Muppets. They I feel like Rolf, bent, like Rolf got the better end of the deal, right? Yeah, honestly. Really, really. The reports that I read from both Rolf and Carl's impression of Mangala, they're interesting. They're super interesting. And I'm not I, mad at Ralph or Carl. You can't pick you your can't. parents. Like, that's no. not... 
It's not the no. kid's fault. No. No. And I, I, I encourage anyone who is going to dive into the cesspool of research, read those counts because they're fascinating. Um, super interesting. Anyway, they relocated to Buenos Aires and Mangala made investments in the pharmaceutical business. Jesus just, Christ. Just sit with that for a second. Okay. <sighs> a farm and several other very fruitful endeavors. In 1959, he became a citizen of Paraguay under the name of Jose Mengele because he had been brought into a scandal with several other doctors in Buenos Aires who were practicing without licenses. And a young girl had died during an illegal abortion and Mengele, afraid that his wartime atrocities would be discovered, decided to pull a runner again. He knew when to run. That he was a very cunning, very conniving. He knew when to run. At the end of 1960, his new family decided to leave South America behind and travel back to Germany. I, I should specify, when they went to Germany, they went without him. Which I guess if you are trying to divorce an ex-Nazi, the one place you would be safe would be Germany. During the Nuremberg trials, the Allies were under the assumption that Mengele had died, and his family had alleged that this was indeed the case. But the thing with paperwork is, if it's done right, it can lead to the revelation of Nazis. And when someone wants to get a divorce, they can only do so if the person is alive. And Mangala had gotten divorced in 1954 after his long supposed death date. Yeah, dead people can't get a divorce. Mm. Famous Nazi hunters Simon Weissenthal and Hermann Langbein, who are just fascinating people in themselves and the things that they did, true heroes but they decided that the bad doctor should pay for his crimes and collected information from witnesses about his atrocities committed during the war. Langbein was the one who discovered Mengele's divorce papers, and on them was an address in Buenos Aires listed for him. Ho, ho, ho! Paperwork done right, my friends! Langbein and Weisenthal leaned on the West German authorities to start the extradition process and to issue an arrest warrant for Mengele. On June 5th of 1959, they received the warrant, but Argentina refused to extradite, uh, mainly because someone didn't do the paperwork right again. This is the second time, second time. They listed the incorrect address for the fugitive on the documents, and by the time extradition was finally approved on the 30th, almost a month later, 25 days later, Mangala had escaped to a farm in Paraguay. This incident that caused the escape of Mangala almost caused a true international incident. And all of this stems back to the way that Eichmann had previously been seized and extradited, and for anyone out there wondering why, I encourage you to take that dive into the history of the rat line and 
the ties it had directly to political and religious figures in the countries it operated in, as well as to the Nazi hunters that went in and pulled people like Eichmann back to Nuremberg and had them tried. It's It will give you both a love and a hate of humanity. Um, fair warning, really, though, it, it may make you lose belief in things like organized religion and political figures. Not, not a problem. That's already gone. So I'm good. Yeah. I mean, anyone who is, you know, this many seasons into our show, probably it's already gone. But I, I do try to give warnings. Trust no one, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, once the extradition papers expanded to include Paraguay, Mangala fled to Brazil, again using the rat line. Eventually, the extradition paperwork expanded to include Brazil as well. But this time, other political factors were working in Mengele's favor, mainly the cost of hunting an elusive Nazi decades after the crimes had been perpetrated were the problem. The funding for the hunt of Mengele dried up. And in 1962, the hunters were forced to call off their hunt. Mengele's health began to steadily decline in 1972, 10 years later, and he even had a stroke in 1976. His son Rolf, the Muppet, who had not seen his father since the trip Mangala took back to Europe in 1956, visited his father one last time in 1977, and in his own words said that he found an unrepentant Nazi who denied that he had personally harmed anyone and had only acted as a soldier following the directions handed down to him. While visiting his friends at a coastal resort town of Bertobia, Bertobia? Coastal Resort Town, in February of 1979, Mangala had a second stroke while swimming and drowned. It would have been more just if it had been a shark attack, you know. And I know I was kind of rooting for like that or like a swarm of jellyfish or something horrible. Nibbled to death by sea turtles. Something it awful. Pecked to death by a swarm of seagulls sent by Barry. There you go. And then eaten by sharks. Yeah, no, I, I figure Barry, if he had had the ability to do that, would have absolutely been like, oh, you want to fuck with Jews? I got seagulls, bitch. So, yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that if Barry had known the location of Mangala, it would have been a SEAL Team 6 kind of scenario. He would have but snuck it would be Seagull Team 6. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Seagull Team 6. <laughs> he was buried under the alias that he had been using since 1971, Wolfgang Gerhard, in Embu das Artes. However... That was not where he would remain. The thing is, people were still hunting for Mangala. A trial held in Jerusalem in February of 1985 reignited interest in Mangala worldwide. And mind you, this is six years after he died, but, you know, still, it reignited the interest in him worldwide. It featured the testimonies of over 100 victims of Mangala's experiments, 
and revealed the atrocities that this monster had truly perpetrated. Finally, realizing the importance of capturing the skid mark on the face of humanity, the West German, Israeli, and U.S. governments launched a coordinated hunt to determine if Mengele was still alive, and if so, where the fuck he was. There were a lot of rewards being offered, not only from governments, but also from private companies and newspapers. At the end of May in 1985, police raided a house of a lifelong friend and business associate of the Mengele family, and I'm talking like the parent family back in Germany. In this raid, they discovered a coded address book and copies of letters to and from Mengele, including a letter of notification about Mengele's death. Under interrogation, the authorities were able to learn the location of Mengele's grave. Of course, needing to verify that this actually was Mengele, his remains were exhumed in June of 1985. A forensic examination told them that there was a high degree of probability that the body was Mangala. This was confirmed by Rolf, the famous Muppet, Mangala, on the 10th of June, when he stated that the body was his father's, and he then admitted that his father's death had been covered up to protect the rat line and the people who had hidden him. However, unable to take the word of the people who knew where he was for years and did nothing to end it, In 1992, DNA testing was employed, and it confirmed that it was indeed Mengele's body. In the end, family members refused repeated requests, repeated requests by Brazilian officials to reclaim Mengele's remains and repatriate them to Germany. His skeleton is currently stored at Sao Paulo Institute for forensic medicine, where I think it is, we should rebury it like at a public restroom, so that like with like a a clear uh, glass, so you can just like take a shit on it anytime you want to, and you have to pay for the privilege, and all that money goes to actually like helping uh, families who were affected by this asshole. That seems like a like a good end. I would I would vote for that. I would pay for it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would really pay for that. That would be something I would travel to pay for that. Yeah. I would <laughs> travel to go to the Joseph Mengele public latrine. I would. Mm-hmm. That, yes, please. That yeah. Great. Uh, if anyone is listening ideas, we have them. Anyway, it is currently being used as an educational tool and truly this is the only true contribution that he has ever made to the sciences. Okay, class, do you want to see what, a, what like, an absolute fucking asshole looks like? And they just, like, pull out the skeleton. There you go. That's it. That's what it looks like. What do you want to bet that they don't even tell the classes? Pro- probably the not. Probably, yeah. probably not. I'm sure it would have been destroyed long ago if they had. Ugh. Yeah. Salt Ugh. and burn those bones. I've, if you've learned, I've learned right? nothing from watching uh, Supernatural. It's that. Salt and, Salt and burn. burn. Yeah. So there's one more interesting note about Mengele's life in Brazil. The small town of Rio Grande do Sul is known to have the highest population of twins in the world. 
it is so high that a theory became prevalent that this was the result of Mengele's tampering. But in fact, it's actually due to a founding factor. The town was founded by a small number of families that were already genetically prone to twins. Oh, like the double mints all went there. Yes. Yeah, the whole double mint twin, all of them, they just came from that area. All of them, yes. That, In fact, we call it the double mint town. Okay. It's still uh-huh. spooky. That's still it really spooky. It is. And the fact that he was in the area at the highest point when they were really populating, it, uh, it was... Mm, but no, it's actually due to genetics. So in Mengele, that has been disproven. And that's my story. And now I'm going to go bathe in holy water and baby laughter in an oh. attempt to purge the shit from my being and my essence. Because what a horror show. Absolute horror show. I, uh, Jones, the, my delightful elderly cat, has actually come in to make a comment he is sitting next to my laptop, uh, grooming his butt with his foot I, the whole I, way up in the air like he's playing the cello. And I believe that is a Jones commentary on on the subject, not on your handling of the, or research of the story, which is quite good, but on his feelings on the actual subject. So, yes. Thank you for appreciating the torture I put myself through with Mangala. And Brian, I hope that I did your request well. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Again, thank you for the lovely email. It was very touching. And uh, it's for you and people, our other listeners out there like you, that we do this. And the fact that we just have weird fucked up interest. It was, like I said, it was on my list. I've been meaning to do him since like we started talking about creating this podcast, but that's some dark shit right there. Yeah. It's pretty terrible. Well, I have a little coda to send us out with. Uh, This is my feeble attempt to kind of like even the scales when we talk about fucking Nazis. Uh, So I'm adding, if ever we have to talk about a Nazi, I'm going to add a short story of how you should just not fuck with Jews. Do because not I'm always going to be the one doing the story about the Nazi. That's just the way it's going to go, guys. Yeah, <laughs> and also, again, I want to acknowledge they fucked with all kinds of people, not just Jews, but they super really wanted to fuck with Jews, which you should not do. Well, not I mean, only that, okay, that's just, your heritage. Why would anyone ask you to research a fucking Nazi? I, I don't want to. Yeah, but don't fuck yeah. with Jews. I mean, okay, already, look look at just world events right now. Volodymyr Zelensky, current president of Ukraine and Jewish of Jewish descent, uh, he is amply, I think, demonstrating this principle of do not fuck with Jews Word. with his really amazing leadership during this absolutely horrific attack on the country. I mean, like, okay, the epic quote when, you know, he was being asked to evacuate, evacuate Kiev, which is under siege, he said, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. So that that's some big damn hero talk right there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, here's a another sort of historical and mythical example of why you should definitely not fuck with Jews. And that is golems. So not Gollum. That, that is a creepy short dude with the jewelry obsession who looks like he has spent several centuries too long soaking in the bathtub. No, I'm not talking about Gollum. I'm talking about Golem. G-O-L-E-M. Golems, my precious. Golems. Not, not, not my precious. Yes, yeah, so not Gollum. 
That's Andy Serkis in a, in a green screen suit hopping around. But a golem, which is an animated humanoid form from Jewish folklore who uh, was made of mud and brought to life by uh, a rabbi inserting a piece of paper with Hebrew letters forming a Shem. A Shem is a, like a, one of the names of secret names of God into the mouth of the golem to animate him. And some golem tales also say that the word emet, which it means truth in Hebrew, is inscribed on the forehead of this big dirt friend and that you can deactivate this creature once it has been brought to life and just render it back into, into dust and into um, dirt by wiping out the Aleph at the beginning of Emet and thus turning the forehead inscription into the word Met, which means dead. So All I heard out of all of that because of the wine and horror is that pe men are still trying to create life by inserting things in mouths of other things. Uh, yeah, no, no, this is, and again, this is folklore that we know of. This doesn't really happen, but you never know. You never know. Uh, but the purpose of the golem basically is to make this big homunculus that can be controlled by the maker and made to carry out tasks. Like, you know, basically it can be a servant to you uh, and it is unable to speak. So it's just this big mute, like helper, right? Go do the made dishes. Can't talk. Even, can't even talk back. Yeah, can't talk back. Made of dirt. Nice. You control it. Nice. And probably the most famous story of a golem is the golem of Prague, which um, so the story was actually came up like was created most likely in like the 19th century, uh, kind of like German folk tales. But it is set, it is supposed to have happened uh, in the late, late 16th century uh, when the rabbi of Prague, Judah Lo ben Bazalel, was said to have created basically a big dirt friend from clay that he dug from the Vitava River. And then he brought this, this creature to life using rituals and uh, incantations so that it could help defend Prague and the Prague ghetto from anti-Semitic attacks and pogroms. Do we know so, how big it was? familiar with the term pogrom, we're learning all kinds of words. Ratline, pogrom, it's great, it's great. Yeah. It's basically- We're an educational pogrom. show, really. Yeah, oh, very much so. A letter P for pogrom. And a pogrom, which kind of sounds fun, is not, it's super not. It's basically a big, horrible populist riot that it, where the majority is basically incited to massacre or expel an ethnic minority, uh, frequently Jews, though it can be applied to other groups of people. Uh, and it's it the word came from the Slavic and Russian areas of Europe, but the concept of the pogrom and just the mob basically running this minority out of town, of course, you know, happened all over the world. Uh, you know, it's still happening today. It yeah. sucks, but it was, you know, the idea of the pogrom very much was the Slavs shoving the Jews out of their towns, essentially. It is the opposite of good times. It is fucking depressingly common. And um, yeah, like, you know, today is definitely an I hate our entire species kind of show. Anyway, <laughs> the rabbi of, P of Prague creates his big clobber and clay pal to keep the people safe. And that's great. That's very nice. And the I golem, still want to know, know do we know how big this this golem was? Um, Just like a big, beefy man. Like, think Frankenstein made out of mud. 
Okay. 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 That's a lot of mud to dig up from a river. That that was yeah. commitment. Yeah. And not just like folding some paper and writing a word down and, you know, doing the magic of... No, the- there's a lot involved in making a golem. You don't just like throw a golem together out of like dust. You you really, you gotta, you really gotta commit, commit. to fit with this. I like so how we both went to commit. What's that? I like how we both went for commit. You have to commit to a golem. That's, you gotta commit. Yeah. Yes. So his name was, ironically, Joseph. Joseph, like Joseph Mengele. Uh, but he was often called by a nickname, Yosela, which is basically essentially like the Hebrew version of calling him Joey the Golem. Joey, the <laughs> yeah. Joey doesn't share food. I I now see this golem as Joey from Friends, and I I'm here for it. It is the Matt Leba- uh, LeBlanc of golems. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, here kinda, for it. Yeah, it, it totally. That that's not bad. That's that's. But yeah, he's just basically this big protective lunk made out of clay named Yosela that would just like defend the people if their neighbors started to get shitty. So, you know, a good guy, a mensch made of clay. And the rabbi would deactivate Yosela on Friday evenings because it was the, like basically the Sabbath, like Shabbat. Because you um, can commit crime on Fridays. <laughs> well, you, you basically, like, Friday evening, you just got to turn literally everything off. You are done, you're not working, you're not allowed to really do anything, essentially, even if you are a, a, a homunculus made homunculus? of clay. Okay, fair. Yeah. So um, what he would do, the rabbi would do, is he would remove the shem, the piece of paper that animated him from the mouth, and the golem would then rest on on the Sabbath, just like everybody else was supposed to. Unfortunately, one Friday night, Rabbi Lowe just got busy or something, and he forgot to turn off the golem, like you do. And because he was afraid that by not doing this, this would desecrate Shabbat, because... Again, you're not supposed to do any kind of work at all. Like, you're, you know, even if you're not technically a human, just like a human-shaped pile of mud, you're still, you know, again, not supposed to be doing stuff. So the rabbi ran after Yosela and pulled the Shem from his mouth to immobilize him, uh, whereupon, unfortunately, Yosela just fell into pieces in front of the synagogue. That, that is one version of the story. Another version says that the golem went rogue because he wanted to be a real, like, I want to be a real boy kind of thing. And he had fallen in love with the human woman. And then there's other stories that where he just basically one day was like, you know what? Let's rampage. Like something within him just switched from good to evil. And he just kind of went on a, just a, a rampage and had to be, had to be stopped. Basically a little, you can have a little rampage as a treat went through his Up mind. the brakes real quick. I just have to say, I have known people with terrible taste in partners, but how bad does it have to be that you switch over to a golem? I mean, you can't talk. That's sort of nice sometimes. I'm, I'm just saying. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything against Joey the golem. What I am saying is how bad do you does your history have to be before you look at a golem and go, this is a viable option? I mean, have you looked at the dating apps lately? Honest to God, like a no. golem seems kind of great compared to a lot of these charmers. What, what, why would I? Why would I? Right. That is I just, just a shit show of golems right there. My precious. No. I would pick a golem over golem. I'm just saying. Agreed. Agreed. He's, jewelry, he's not going to get weird and try to take it back. Agreed. Yeah. So anyway, 
whatever for whatever reason the the golem is said to have been deactivated and fallen apart into pieces and that then the giant clay body parts were gathered up and stored in the attic of the delightfully named old new synagogue in prague <laughs> that's its name i didn't i don't make this up which is the oldest active synagogue in europe the old new synagogue and, um, of course, you know, that's exactly where I would store my golem parts, would be the Adam attic of the old new synagogue. It makes sense. And now we get to the actual super don't fuck with Jews portion of the story. There's also a story that a Nazi agent broached the attic during World War II specifically to look for the golem of legend. Because, you know, you know this Nazis would make sense. Were, yeah. Yeah, they were super into all of this sort of mystic kind of supernatural shit there was a whole division yeah looking for all of that shit oh yeah i mean i've watched hellboy i know um so they (laughs) yeah the Thule society yeah they were into that so they um this nazi is said to have gone up into the attic specifically to see if this this was true if there really were it was a golem stored up there alongside you know i don't know like canned goods and and old trunks of clothes and like winter coats. And he was immediately struck dead a la Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, okay, technically the story doesn't say he was melted. They just said he was struck dead. But I, for my own part, I just, I immediately go to the whole melting Nazi portion, the end of Raiders, where they mm-hmm. open the Ark of the Covenant and it's just like, bleh, and they just fried by the light of God. That is what I choose to believe happened to this Nazi shitheel who went upstairs to find Joey the Golem's body parts. And apparently, this is said to have wigged out the Gestapo sufficiently that they left the synagogue alone and spared it from destruction, unlike so many of the other synagogues in Europe that they just completely destroyed. And the old new synagogue, still standing to today, and it had been it has been you know cleaned and renovated multiple times over the years with the last time being in 2014 when the attic was explored and no trace of a golem was found at that time but who knows perhaps yosela got himself together he's out there roaming around looking for nazi skulls to smash i don't know if he is i hope he finds them because you know smash yosela smash or that is my he story. was saved by love yeah yeah that that is a beautiful story. I love it. I like to imagine that Yosela once, you know, his lover found out that he was being hidden in this attic, went and was like, "Oh, you destroyed the Nazis. You're a mensch. I'm here for you." I, you know, like let's hope. Yeah, he and his. I like to think he and his human partner are out there, like fighting neo-Nazi crime. Like that would be amazing. I would. I would be. But, down you know, that. maybe like if you are a comics writer. You should, someone should write that. And I, cause I would totally read the adventures of, you know, Joey, the golem Nazi hunter. So get on that. I would too. And I read a lot of comics. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a ride. We had horror. We had love of golems. We had an entire bag of dicks. We had terrible people. We had Barry who is not a terrible person. He's just a weirdo. We had golems. We, yeah, it's uh, we had highs. We had lows. We had strawberry kiwi rosé. Yeah. 
have you warned Barry that I am just absolutely enamored of him he and he is he is going to be my new best friend oh, when okay. he comes to visit. Like, Dad, Dad, you got a stalker. No. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> Not full on stalker. I, I I worry if you actually meet Barry, you'll just be like, oh, he's just an old beardo guy. Oh no. No, that'll never happen. <laughs> that'll never fucking happen. Because <laughs> I'm gonna be like Tell me about your building projects. Tell me about, tell me about how you got the idea to fuck with treasure hunters. Teach me your ways, Barry. (laughs) You're the kind of low-key evil I'm here for. Teach me your ways. He's just, he's more of like a, a, a slightly naughty old guy that likes to, he's more sort of like, like a like a mischievous little goblin, a gremlin, if you will. Barry is low yeah. key chaos incarnate. He's what yes, happens yeah, when no, he's, chaos uh, he's is chaotic retired. neutral. He's Barry. Yeah, yeah. This is what happens when chaos retires. <laughs> you you got to just you got to give him a project, or shit gets weird. Is what I'm saying. You know what? I'm the same way. That's why I, I, I can't have time on my hands. I can't have no. time. Don't give me no. that. That's terrible. This is why I'm writing a book right now. I don't need unstructured time. No unstructured time. Cause then the thoughts start happening and you don't want to have the thoughts, especially not right now. No, indeed. No. I, Go to the thoughts. No one, no one needs the voices that goes on in my head. No one. <laughs> No one. Uh, anyway, thank you for that lovely golem inspired story. That was that was everything that I needed to wrap up uh, Nazi bullshit. And on that note, remember everyone, take care of each other. And you might be disturbed, but you're not hopefully a Nazi. And if you are Stop You're listening. You're not listening Stop to this. Get your ways. <laughs> and you're not alone. Thanks for listening to the little podcast that shouldn't. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen. You know the drill. Also, feel free to contact us with any burning questions, vital factual corrections, casserole recipes, stock tips, or other concerns. Our email address is disturbinginterests at gmail.com. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 70515, Seattle, Washington, 98127. If you feel like sending us something groovy, like, I don't know, a cast foam replica of Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box from the movie Seven, please do not send us a real head, though. A, that is illegal. B, that is gross. And C, I do need to maintain a good working relationship with the fine employees of the Ballard Post Office to run my business, and that would most definitely sour relations there. So, no heads, please. Other cursed objects that do not feature bodily fluids? Sure, why not? You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at Disturbing Interest Podcast, on Twitter at podcast underscore DI, or on Instagram at DI Podcast. Stay safe, stay mostly sane, and we'll see you intermittently on the airwaves.